Hello and welcome back to the Utah Film Pod. My name is Josh Terry. I will be your host for episode number 71. And I'm joined by Mark LaRocco, who is back in town like I'm back in town. How are things going, Mark? Oh, it's going great. It's good to be back in town. Back in. I know. I, it's, it sounds like you were down in Hollywood knocking around. We were in Hollywood. Yeah, we were... Um... We went to a lot of places. My son, my oldest son and I did a trip, a special trip to Universal Studios, Santa Monica Beach for surf lessons. Um, we went to the Funko Pop headquarters, which I thought you might be interested in for some reason. And uh, for some reason. a few other places. Yeah, just uh, the Walk of Fame. And we tried to drive up to the Hollywood sign. And by then, I don't know if you heard, but there was a giant rainstorm and we couldn't even see it. Oh, wow. A, uh, I, I guess I was on the flip side of the coin as far as the entertainment industry. I, I went to Nashville, oh. and uh, I, I went out there to visit a buddy who was uh, working an event uh, downtown. He uh, oh. uh, there was the Safari Club International event, and he was uh, selling his Rockagator backpacks at that. And so I flew out to spend a couple of days in Nashville, and then we drove home earlier this week. And uh, that was quite the hefty drive. So. That's a long drive. But it was fun. Yeah, um, Nashville's a cool place. I had never been there before, and it was a lot of fun. There's a lot of great music, a lot of great food. We went to the Grand Old Opry. Oh, that's... Listened to the guy who... Uh, the final performer was the guy who wrote The Gambler. So he wasn't, wasn't Kenny Rogers. It was the guy who wrote the song for Kenny Rogers. And so he performed The Gambler for the audience, and it was really cool. Oh, that's really cool. cool. That's, that's yeah. a weird coincidence. My sister and her family are there now. And they went to the Grand Ole Opry, okay. I think, two days ago. Um, so, yeah, they're they're doing a Nashville trip, which uh, they Very got nice. to see Don Schlitz. Is that a real that's person? That's the guy. Oh, that's... Wait, that's... Re- so, we must have been at the same show. I wonder, because... Because he was the... It was Friday. It was last Friday night, and he was the finale, and he, he sang... Three songs, and the last one was a gambler. And I guess he wrote another song that was very popular for Alison Krauss. Okay. Um, you might have to ask. I, I'm going to find out but, because uh, um, that's funny. They also saw Darius Rucker, who's who was also in Hootie the Blowfish, but he's a country star for like the last 20 years. Um, so I wonder if they went to the same show. That's the same sister I go to Sundance with. Like we went to Sundance a few weeks ago. And, oh uh, yeah, yeah. You were going to tell me about that. Yeah, um, we went to yeah, uh, a documentary called "Agent of Happiness," and we, you know, every year she'll send me. Well, we just started this last year when we saw Flora and Son, but she'll send me like a few different movie options, and I can usually just pick because, you know, I don't really go during the middle of the day, and there's certain restrictions I have. But like that one looked interesting because I hadn't seen a documentary for a while at Sundance. I used to see a ton of those at Sundance, partly just because they're easier to get into. Everyone wants to get into like the big star premieres, you know? Yeah. Right. Such as the one with Jesse Eisenberg called a Royal, uh, pain, I think about his trip to, to find out where his great grandparents were when they were, they were in the Holocaust and they go on this like Polish trip. So that's like a big popular one that, was kind of one of the big shows, big movies at Sundance. We saw Agent of Happiness. It's a documentary by a Bhutanese and Hungarian filmmaker that takes place in Bhutan, which I hadn't even heard of, but it's one of the countries of the Himalayas next to Nepal. And the government commissions a a happiness study where they try to like interview all the residents of all the citizens of Bhutan about. Um, what makes them happy and what they can do to become happier. 
and it's like 149 questions in 10 or 11 different categories and they go two by two these these workers and they just walk to each house and they just sit down with people okay. and ask them questions and rate them you know like yes no maybe always one through ten on certain things and then they give it to the government and the government is supposed to craft policies to like craft laws that help people be happier based on those surveys cool. so did you feel personally happier as a result of watching that documentary yes i did and there's a few Good. reasons for that um mission accomplished one is, yeah yeah as if the government of bhutan wanted us to see the movie i'm sure they didn't mind but it's one it's a it's a very poor third world country as as you might expect but many of the citizens are very happy and one of the things you you learn in the movie which i have already known is that possessions don't equal happiness right like being rich and having a lot of stuff um there's a certain base level of material possessions that people need that are more based on necessities that they need in order to be happy but once you hit a certain base level everything beyond that doesn't really add to happiness at least in in a yeah. pretty dramatic way maybe slightly in some ways but okay. yeah i mean you know clean water and a roof over your head and clothes and food things like that you need to be happy right but like um so so increasing wealth is diminishing returns you're probably yeah in increasing possessions yeah yeah but another thing that you know people find happiness from is is love and relationships and one of the this one of the two guys that's the main guy that they follow in this documentary is one of these government workers that goes from house to house interviewing people and he's he's this 40 year old guy named amber i guess that's a bhutanese name i don't think it's that he has a girl's name i think he's just that's his name in their language is Amber. Okay. And he um, he's a really sweet guy. He's very open uh, about how he wants to find a wife. And so the documentary follows him on like a couple dates and attempts to go on dates. And um, and he'll, he'll go on dates and he'll just be pretty blunt with, with the women he's with. And and so part of what you're, you're invested in as an audience watching this documentary, is not just how this happiness survey is going, but how this guy's love life is going. Um, so this is the Bhutanese answer to the bachelor. <laughs> I, I don't know, not quite. Although they could do that, because it's not—it's not the main point of the movie, but it sort of becomes a, like a sly, curious little uh -huh. subplot of the movie. Um, That's fine. And so it's—it's it's nice. It's a nice movie, and I thought it was well. Don't don't good. give away what happens. I won't. We don't we don't we don't want to know if he finds love or not until we see the movie ourselves. Right. Yep. Do you know it has anybody picked it up? Is I, it gonna be on I haven't even heard Netflix that. I actually I don't know. That's a good question. I hadn't heard that, but I mean it would be cool. It's it's worth seeing. Like it's a movie I would recommend and it's not the kind of movie that a lot of people watch, but it's not one of these like you know, some of these documentaries are so just heavy. You know, like you mm -hmm. talked about, oh, like yeah. 20 days at Mario Paul or whatever. I mean, they're, they're, this is not one of those. It's, it doesn't feel yeah. extremely heavy. And mostly the subject matter is light. I mean, there are some pretty meaningful moments on screen when people... And one thing that surprised me and I maybe delighted me was how honest many of the families were in answering the questions on camera. And they know they're on camera. It's not like hidden cameras or anything. It's like mm -hmm. a pretty open documentary about what makes them happy and what they what they worry about and what, what struggles they have. And sometimes they'll sort of criticize other family members just right in front of them about things mm -hmm. they wish they weren't doing like alcoholism or whatever, you know? 
Um, and then, and those are some kind of touching parts of the movie, but mostly it's not, it's, 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 you know, it's a fun kind of nice, charming movie, um, that I enjoyed. Cool. Yeah. Well, so, uh, so we'll have to keep an eye out for that one when that one becomes available. Um, in the meantime, one that is going to be available probably around the time we, we post or get ready to post this new episode is uh, One Love. I just saw that tonight, actually, just a couple hours before we're recording. Um, One Love is the biopic about Bob Marley, uh, oh, who yeah. you may be familiar with. is the, the reggae superstar from the 70s, um, just barely into the 80s, I think, uh, was his run. Uh, and this, so, so he had, uh, you know, well, not a, not a long career for reasons that maybe I'll, I'll hold back on just in case anybody's not familiar with his life already and wants to see the movie. Um, but what this movie does is it really just focuses in on about a two year window. Okay. Um, there are some flashbacks to his youth. And so you see a little bit about where he came from and, and how he became prominent and, you know, became successful. Uh, but mostly it follows uh, what happened between 1976 and 1978 when his career, now his music pretty much was always very socially conscious. And so he always had uh, a kind of a message to, to his work. Um, but this was a period where that message and, and his role as really as Jamaica's kind of prominent performer and celebrity uh, became pretty complicated because the the country was going through kind of, there was a lot of political tensions and the movie opens as they're getting ready for an election where there's just some really, really uh, intense division in the country. And so Marley decides that he's going to hold a concert to promote unity and he doesn't want it to be politically motivated. He doesn't want to side with one, you know, one political party or the other. Um, But there are so many, the tensions are so elevated uh, that there's actually an assassination attempt on him, and he does get he gets shot. Uh, they attack his him at home. They attack his family, um, and again, I you know I won't fill in all the details, uh, but this happens at the beginning of the movie, and so this kind of kicks off this story of how he, you know, tries to reconcile his his role, and you know you see him creating you know the music that he worked on in the, the following two years and just his efforts to, you know, not just be an entertainer, but to try to be a leader and an inspiration for uh, his country. Cause he, he actually wound up leaving the country for a period of time after the assassination attempt. And so part of the, the, uh, the arc, I guess, of the narrative is the question of whether he'll come back to Jamaica or whether he's going to stay. Like he, he goes to London and basically uh, like his album Exodus uh, some people might be familiar with was recorded uh, in in London, at least according to the movie. From what I was perceiving, I could have missed some details, but um, so I mean, overall, uh, so uh, uh, Kingsley Benadire plays um, plays Marley and does a good job. Oh, uh, it's yeah. Wow. Now, are you? I wasn't super familiar with him. His, his name sounded familiar. Am I missing something? What else has he been in? Is is he um in? Was he in Barbie? Or am I thinking of somebody else? It's possibly. Oh yeah. Why don't you look ahead? He is. Yeah, and so I can't believe he's okay, Bob so he Marley. In... He looks 
if you look at the pictures of him in Barbie as one of the Kens and as Bob Marley, like, yeah, you see it, but... Oh, is he one of the Kens? Oh, my gosh. I... That is so... So, apparently, he has range as an actor. Yeah. (laughs) Because there is nothing Barbie-like about his performance in One Love. Um, He does a good job. Does a solid job. Uh, I believe, from what I could tell, they were playing mostly original you know, Bob Marley and the Whalers track. So I don't think he was actually singing in the film. Okay. Um, you will recognize uh, Lashana Lynch uh, plays his wife, Rita. Okay. Um, she was the uh, the new 007 from the movie a couple of years ago. I think she's been in the Captain Marvel movies as well. Oh. Uh, like some other things. Yeah, Doctor so, Strange and Captain Marvel. Yep. Right, right. Uh, so I guess... My my primary takeaway from it is, well, I mean, first of all, it's going to be one of the greatest soundtracks of the year. Just, I mean, yeah, you 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 really get a tour of the best Bob Marley tracks. Um, plus, they throw in some other kind of period stuff as well. Um, but I mean, that's that's kind of a given, right? It doesn't have to be a great movie to if you're just throwing his music out there. Um, but the you know the performances are really solid. They're well done. the The one thing that I thought was maybe a little I mean, I, I would I would offer this as a criticism, but even with the criticism, I'm probably going to land about three stars out of four on this one. Mm-hmm. It's it's not going to be one of my all time biopics, but it is good. Yeah. Um. I would I would say that the the way that they bracket the story isn't the most compelling narrative, and so the end result feels more like a nice portrait of Marley than it feels like a great movie or a great story Mm -hmm. because you're really just kind of watching him through this particular, you know, through this one kind of limited window. Like I said, there's some, there's some flashbacks here or there and you can kind of see where things start. You know, they have a lot of uh, flashbacks that show his, his childhood romance with, with Rita Mm. and uh, just kind of how things go. And there's, there's a really fun scene where they show the original band trying out for the first time and trying to get a record contract in Jamaica. And uh, they, you know, the first, the first song doesn't go very well, but the second song, uh, so like I said, I don't want to give too much away. Cause I think this is, you know, kind of fun to watch. Um, so that's, that's fun. And there's, there's a lot of, you know, kind of little bits and pieces that are, that are enjoyable, hmm. but you know, altogether it, it didn't, I guess, how would I say it? Like, there are things that happen in the movie, and I, you know, I've already kind of alluded to what happens early on with the assassination yeah. attempt. Yeah, that almost feel like they should be more powerful. Given what is happening, it feels like it should have a bigger impact, and maybe it's that kind. Of, it doesn't. It doesn't land quite as as powerfully as maybe you would want it to. Yeah, and and that's why I would put it kind of at a second tier in terms of a biopic because. You know, okay. you're not left kind of going, "Wow, that was amazing." Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So that's that's why I would say three star. I mean, it's it's definitely good. There's some real good merits to it, but it's not the kind of thing that I think is going to be up for awards necessarily. Um, but that's okay because yeah. not all of them not all of them do. No, there's not. There's there's hundreds of movies come out. There's a limited number of awards and. That's right. I mean, That's right. If, if you like Bob Marley, I mean, I guess for let's say I don't know anything about the music, I don't know anything about Bob Marley. 
is it the kind of thing where I would still like the movie or would it, you think that if I liked Bob Marley and I was familiar with his music, I'd, I'd be, I'd be more likely to enjoy it way more. Well, I do think that Bob Marley fans will enjoy this more because they're going to be more familiar with, with what's happening and what they're hearing because you're going to hear a lot of songs that you're already familiar with. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was, that was part of the fun for me was hearing a whole bunch of songs I already knew. Yeah. Um, and you know, to, to, to watch them developing some of the songs I was familiar with and recording an album that I'm familiar with. Um, and so I think being a fan would, would elevate your appreciation, but I do think that they did a pretty good job of introducing him with the film in a way that would be accessible to people who weren't as, you know, did, didn't already know who he was and mm-hmm. and what he was about. So that, so that does a good job. Like yeah. I said, it's just, it's just not a home run. Yeah. It's more of a, a triple. It's more of a, it's a, it's a double <laughs> with a stealing, stealing. Footage, you know? <laughs> like, like it just, uh, you know, it's a good, good solid movie. And I mean, I hate to put it this way, but you know, coming out in the middle of February, it's probably about right. Mm. You know, yeah. it's, it's something that's perfectly good. Um, but uh, you know, not the kind of thing I would, I would expect them to roll out in December because they're expecting, you know, a big time, big time uh, splash. Yeah. At, uh, but anyway, um, now it is coming out on Valentine's Day, uh, which implies, you know, that it's called One Love. I don't know that I would really call it like there, there is quite a bit about his relationship with his wife. Um, I would not classify it as a date movie, um, unlike what the rest of our episode is going to focus on. Mm-hmm. So, so this is the episode leading up to Valentine's day, 2024. And so with that in mind, we're going to have another draft. I'm feeling a draft and, uh, we're going to break down some rom-coms. Yeah. You up for this? Yeah, let's do it. You excited? All right. I'm ready. So we, we, we kind of worked out some parameters, just some very, brief parameters beforehand. I think what we're going to do is we're going to do five each and go through five rounds and then we'll throw in some of our, our favorites, favorite honorable mentions at the end, if we don't get to them. Um, and I'm interested to see where this goes because I think this is going to be one of the drafts that is not going to have as much overlap. Okay. Where, you know, like when we're, when we're drafting the Spielberg movies, I think that we're, we're kind of competing for the top four or five movies, right? It's like, who's going to get Jaws, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, this one, I don't know. I Let's just say I'm not expecting you to pick the movies that I am prioritizing. Okay. But maybe, you know, maybe I should stop talking about what we're going to do. And, and just, just do it. <laughs> do it. So uh, you want to go first? Sure. I, don't, I don't remember who went first last time. It's been a little while, so, I, but you just go ahead and go. Okay, I'll go first. I, I don't remember for sure either, but okay, well, I think this gives me the opportunity to, to draft what I think is just the ultimate prototypical landmark rom- romantic comedy, um, okay. which I think I, I mentioned a few weeks ago, which is When Harry Met Sally from 1989. There you go. Um, this one is maybe just the easy choice or the safe choice. Um, this is, you know, the Billy Crystal, uh, Meg Ryan movie and uh, Meg Ryan should probably come up again in this draft. Um, she sort of was like the queen of rom-coms in that eighties, nineties period. I feel like, 
-hmm. Anyway, she, um, and this is, uh, oh man, I'm, 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 the name's escaping me. Is it Nora Ephron? Billy Crystal. Uh, well, uh, Rob, Rob Reiner. Reiner that's Did he right. direct it? Yeah, yeah. Rob Reiner directed it. And, um, it's kind of just, you know, the whole, it tries to answer the whole question of whether a man and woman can truly be friends or, or is the, the, the passion and the romance and lust, you know, does that always get in the way and interfere with it? But can mm -hmm. they be friends? Sort of like two guys, you know, can have a platonic friendship or two girls. And that's really what the whole movie is about. And one thing I liked about the movie that I had forgotten about it from when I had seen it many, many years ago. Saw it again, like I think we saw early on in our marriage, so I've probably seen it three or four times, was that it goes through different time periods. Now, the majority of the movie right. kind of takes place in, in, the, in the last time frame, but they, these two people meet early on, and then they don't meet for another five years. Then they don't meet for a few years after that, you know? Um, and, and it starts out with kind of, they don't really, I don't know if they really like each other at first, you know? Right, um, right. And, and well, because their first their first meeting is they wind up. It's like sharing a, a car ride, like a road trip, together. right? Yeah. yeah, like yes, like she needs a ride back home after you no know, during the college break or something like that. Yeah, exactly. And and they're just they're just oil and water. Yep, yep. He has all these opinions, and I think I told you before. It kind of reminded me of sort of the seeds of Seinfeld, in where you have a guy mm -hmm. just and it's sort of post Woody Allen, but pre Seinfeld, guy just sort of that has funny and kind of witty full of a lot of little quips, you know, and just sharing his opinions on life and love, no matter how inane they might be. And, mm -hmm. and maybe much to the annoyance of those around him. Um, but he's got a friend and, you know, in this case it's Bruno Kirby, not, you know, George Costanza. And he, uh, and then he has a girl friend or a friend who's a girl, which is, you know, played by Meg Ryan. This is Sally. And they begin, as friends do, to just share everything with each other. You know, they lean on each other for support. When they go on a like a date, after the date, it's almost like that's the first person they call up and talk to is, is Harry talks to Sally or Sally talks to Harry um, until mm -hmm. they sort of start dating each other. And then they kind of lean on their friends of the same sex, which is played by um, Bruno Kirby and then and Carrie Fisher. Carrie Fisher. And, and there's some really kind of fun split screens in the movie of these conversations. You know, some of this is happening. And um, it's just really witty, funny movie. And, of course, it does things that I, I believe that romant, romantic comedies are supposed to do, which is make you, as an audience, want these two people to to fall in love or, or to, like, admit that they love each other or, you know, whatever, whatever the happy ending right. is going to be. And... Um, because oftentimes in movies, you know, you see people falling in love before even they know it, or at least one of the characters knows it, and you know, and the audience knows it. And they're meant to be kind of simple plots. And it, I mean, they've been around almost since movies began, you know, just because uh, it's it's one of the oldest love is kind of one of the oldest subjects or themes I think that's ever been depicted in art. Um, so. Anyway, that's that's my number one choice. I mean, yeah. honestly, it's not like my favorite movie because I guess rom-com is probably not my favorite genre, but I think it's my wife's favorite movie. Um, okay. She had uh, it was it was kind of a choice the other day when I said when she and she was she was sick and it was like let's watch your favorite movie, and uh, and so anyway, yeah, I, it's a great one. No, that's a great choice. I that one, I is definitely on my top ten list. 
I don't know if it would have, like, if you hadn't have picked it, I'm not sure if it would have made my top five or not. Yeah. But, I mean, just thinking about it, it's absolutely worthy of being in my top five. Mm. It's just, honestly, I wouldn't say this is my favorite genre. Right. But yeah. I do really enjoy this genre. There, there are a lot of, now, not all of them. I mean, there's definitely a lot of kind of cliched, hokey, you know, examples of this one, of this genre. Um, but... Some of my real favorite movies come out of this. Um, and case in point, my first choice, uh, which is Moonstruck. Oh, yeah. From about 1987, I believe. Uh, this one is just... Yeah, I was, I was thinking about this one as I was driving around today because I knew we were going to talk about this tonight. And I was pretty sure you weren't going to pick Moonstruck first. I, I was um, pretty sure you were going to. Did you? Did you really, <laughs> yeah. In fact, I uh, have a list. I'll, I'll share with you at the end. But I have a little list of movies I predicted you would pick. So we'll see oh, if I'm okay. close on any of the others. Yes. All right. So some more <laughs> intrigue and tension. Excellent. Uh, Moonstruck is awesome. It is such a good. It's it's really, it's really one of those perfect movies. This is just excellent from top to bottom. Uh, really, really well written. Really, really well directed and and extremely well performed. I think. I mean, the, the leads are great in this movie, but even the small throwaway characters are all memorable and excellent. Uh, the main story revolves around a widow played by Cher, mm-hmm. who's just kind of making her way into middle age and feeling a little bit, you know, too old to be on the scene, but, but still still has hopes for, a you know, life and love and, and all this. And so she winds up getting engaged to a character played by Danny Aiello. Uh, and it's it's very obviously kind of a, well, she's not in love with him, but she would like to be married, and and so she, you know, gets engaged in kind of this awkward situation, and he takes off to visit his uh, his ailing mother back in Italy, and uh, this is this, the movie's set in in uh, Brooklyn, mm-hmm. and in the meantime, uh, he asks her to invite his estranged brother to their wedding and so this is going to be the opportunity to kind of uh, make up for some bad blood Uh, and the estranged brother is played by Nicolas Cage and this is a classic early Nicolas Cage role where he is a little bit bonkers really really good all the all just all kinds of memorable Uh, he's a he's a baker and uh, there's the, he had this accident years ago that he blames on his brother. Uh, and that's, that's why there's the bad blood between them. And as you might imagine, Cher and Nicolas Cage hit it off, and they kind of have this whirlwind romance, even though she's engaged to Diane Aiello. And it is just so... It's a, it's a very magic, charming... Like, it's kind of one of these movies that makes New York into this almost kind of fairy tale world where uh, it's, it's very, very romanticized. Um, the, the music is fantastic. Uh, like I said, uh, John Patrick Shanley, I believe, wrote the script for this one, mm-hmm. and Norman Jewison directed. Yeah. Um, I got to see Norman Jewison speak once at a uh, little symposium thing uh, years ago, and he, he's one of those guys that when you, when you hear how many movies he's responsible for, you just kind of go, Wow, I didn't realize yeah. he had done all those. Like he's really done some great stuff, and this is this might still be my favorite of all of them. Okay. Um, yeah, and so like like I said, there are just all these little bits and pieces, all these little supporting roles and characters and lines that are 
just fantastic. Uh, Olympia Dukakis plays uh, Cher's mother. And I want to say that she won an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress because she is just a well of wit, of wit and, and humor and gets a lot of the, you know, some of the best lines in a movie packed with them. Hmm. Um, so, you know, and I don't, I don't want to give away too much, but the final scene it's just, I mean, this is, this is one of those movies that really sticks the landing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a funny premise. There's lots of funny bits. It's a great story. And the ending is fantastic. So Moonstruck is my number one choice. Uh, and yeah, I mean, kind of my, it's, it's honestly, it's one of the movies that made me a Nicolas Cage fan early on. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is, this is one of the first things I saw him in. And, you know, between that and Raising Arizona, He's like, oh yeah, that guy. Oh, yeah. That guy's crazy. He's so fun. And those came out about the same time, I think. Yeah, they might have been the same year, like eighty-seven. Yeah, and and our our picks mm-hmm. are pretty close either too in terms of the time period. Right. Um, I think uh, when Hermit Salad was nineteen eighty-nine. Yep. And uh, but and you I know both of these. I think it might be worth mentioning because because the rom com genre can kind of have a reputation for being kind of. I don't know dumbed down mm-hmm. sometimes like there i mean they, i think that there are a lot of movies in this genre that are just kind of formulaic and and a little you kind of roll your eyes a little bit at them i mean certainly some of the well, ones i see advertised i just kind of roll my eyes yeah these two are very these are very sophisticated movies mm-hmm. these are really intelligent uh fun really engaging yeah films. yeah yeah, they they kind of are elevated uh, examples of of this form. Yeah. I think uh, they are, and I I need to see Moonstruck again. It's been years. Um, okay, so my okay. second pick is I I I'm gonna call the this was such a fun theater experience. I just had to get it on here somewhere, so I might as well just pick it now because it's so fun to talk okay. about. Is my big fat Greek wedding? Oh, um, nice. This is a 2002 movie. Um, I think written by Nia Vardalos, who also starred in it as the as the main yeah. character, um, who is a lady from a Greek family, and she is going. She's becoming interested in a guy, um, uh, played by John Corbett, and I, I don't remember the names of the characters. I mean, it's been so many years since I've I seen know. it. But like, <laughs> um, a lot of the comedy in this in this movie comes from the the Greek family. Uh, like it's they're just in each other's businesses they're sort of these oversized hyperbolic characters of um you know how it must feel like to be in a kind of an overbearing family full of people that are always involved in each other's lives they have opinions that they want to share on everything um they're all named nikki i know there's running jokes in the movie (laughs) about how they all have the same names um you know the, well, the, and how they they spray. What's this? What is it they, that the dad sprays on everything? Is, is uh, it's like the the universal tonic? Or I something? can't remember what it is, but yeah, it's is it just is it just like Windex? You yeah, just like, like Windex. Windex on everything. I think it and it's is. supposed to be just the heel. You know, yeah. the the balm of all balms. Yeah, and there are just so many. <laughs> the the timing of a lot of the comedy in it. I just remember it. Just the theater erupting in laughter. At so many parts, like. Even just things like the mom offering food to the the main guy, you know, like, oh, I'm not hungry. And she's like, I'll make you something. Like, she's just going to feed this guy no matter what. She's just like a mother, you know, who's 
whose job it is to give food to people whether they want it or not and uh and you know it's great because um the, they're, they're all good-hearted characters there's no there's no like villains there's no evil people there's nothing like you you want them to be happy and of course you want the main you know uh, the guy and girl in the movie to 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 find love and for it to work out and so i mean in their little world it's high stakes but it's you know it's a low stakes movie um mm -hmm. and i just i remember just laughing quite a bit in the movie and uh it was a huge hit in fact i think it might still be number one but for a long time it was like the number one movie of, about greek weddings <laughs> about greek weddings no it was the number one movie of all time in the box office that never hit number one in any particular weekend because okay. it just so many people saw it for for months and months but it was never like the top movie of the weekend because it was well it, I it remember, built slowly and it was a word of yeah, mouth movie it was like a word yeah, of mouth phenomenon i remember uh, that yeah that was that was a fun one yeah. i i really enjoyed that one too that one good memories and it, interestingly enough we've now selected two movies of the three that are very cultural based yeah, that's interesting, huh? You know, and and this one, I wouldn't because, say it's... Because Moon, Moonstruck, it's, it's very much kind of an Italian-American movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I, I just... Yeah. You know, and, and Big Frat Greek Wedding, I mean, that probably steers into it as much as... I mean, I'm suddenly thinking about Crazy Rich Asians. Yeah. You know, from a couple of years ago. Same same type of deal. Which, uh, it's, I guess, maybe maybe the idea here is that, that our cultures... When we, you know, all, all like love and romance is something that crosses. It crosses cultures. boundaries. Yeah. It doesn't know but, any but boundaries. When you, but when you zero in on the particularities of each culture, of, there's a lot of humor culture. to be mined. Yeah. Yeah. And this movie, yeah. I mean, I would say, honestly, it's less sophisticated than, than like Moonstruck. It's, it's more right. broad comedy, but you're right. There's so much of it. That's probably, it hits home because it's so personal for this Greek mm -hmm. family and the, and the screenwriter and, and it just, it feels so real. Um, and by the way, I did look it up, now that I was curious. It's, it was surpassed by Sing. Apparently the movie Sing made more than My Big Pratt Greek Wedding, but it never hit number one. Uh, and then Oppenheimer is now beat both of those. And I think that's mostly because so of Barbie. Oppenheimer was never number one. It was never it was number Barbie, one in yeah. any weekend, but it just killed at the box office. It was usually second to Barbie for many, many weekends yeah. in a row. But yeah. Okay. So interesting. my two okay, picks so are in. Very good. So you already said that Meg Ryan was going to come up again, and uh, it's time. It's time to me for me to put my uh, my Meg Ryan film on the list. Now, uh, I want to say I've talked about this one before, and so maybe I won't get into it too much here. Um, but of the three movies that Meg Ryan made with Tom Hanks, this is the one that is the least well known. And I would argue by far the most underrated. Just a great movie. Joe versus the <laughs> Yep, yep. That's and cool. you're smiling and laughing. And so was this on your yeah, list? Of, yeah. You, you thought that I was going to pick this one? Yep. Yeah. Um, this is just uh, an adorable movie. Very, uh, it's very fantastical. You know, it's it's played as kind of a fairy tale. Uh -huh. um, there's there's some roots in reality, but it's it's really not played I mean, I would, I would say of the four movies we've talked about so far, this one is very much uh, kind of in its own little fairy tale world. Mm -hmm. um, follows Tom Hanks as the main character. He's this guy uh, named Joe who's 
you know, he's basically depressed. He's got kind of a go-nowhere job looking for meaning and purpose in his life. Winds up taking up this strange quest to go and uh, jump into a volcano on a remote Pacific island to save the people who live on the island. Mm-hmm. And when I just say that, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Uh, but uh, along the way, on his journey to this island, he meets three different versions of Meg Ryan. Uh, she, so she plays three different characters in the movie, and there's kind of a progression from each from from character to character as Joe is finding his true love. And so, like I said, this is the, the first of the three times that the two of them were in uh, a romantic comedy together. This one didn't do very well at the box office. I remember it being a little bit of a disappointment at the time because I think people saw it as a little too weird. Mm-hmm. And, and on its surface, it is, on its surface, it is kind of an odd movie. Yeah. Um, but it's one of these ones that when you give yourself some time to kind of dig into it and there's a lot to appreciate here. It's just a fun, fun movie. There's some, some deeper meanings and some, some real sincerity and value to it. That's, that's great. Uh, Meg Ryan does an awesome job. All three characters are very distinct. And so she's showing some, some interesting range uh, as an actress. And, and this really, I mean, I kind of see this as coming out during the peak Tom Hanks, every man, you know, uh, you know, funny guy era. You know, this, yeah. this was around the same time that he did Big. Um, yeah, right after before Big. Before he started getting into his serious roles, like in Philadelphia and Forrest, you know, Gump. Forrest Gump. Yeah. That kind of thing. Uh, so just just a fun one overall. Uh, Lloyd Bridges plays the guy who, who kind of sends Tom Hanks on his quest. And, you know, any... Any movie with Lloyd Bridges in it is going to be better off for that. Um, <laughs> yeah, he is—he is one of my all-time favorite. Like, he's pretty much always a supporting actor. I can't think of anything I've seen him in that where he was kind of the lead. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, always great to have along. Ozzy Davis plays a fun supporting role in it. Um, just a fun one. This is a really, really fun movie. Really sweet movie. Um, and like I said, it's, compared to the others, this one is more of a fairy tale. Yeah. Um, even though it is. Uh, written and directed by the same guy who wrote Moonstruck. So it's uh, John Patrick Shanley again. Oh. And so... Uh, Is he your favorite yeah, screenwriter? Details. Well, he's up there. Yeah. He's he's definitely up there uh, with some of the stuff he's done. I mean, I know that I really like uh, William Goldman a lot as well. Like I did uh, Bush Cassidy and Sundance Kid. Um, but uh, yeah, Shanley's stuff is is great. I mean, those those two movies alone are classics in my book okay so joe versus okay number three all right yeah um so i'm i'm I, my next pick which is my third pick is kind of skirting the line of comedy drama romantic comedy drama but it's funny enough okay. and i remember laughing enough that i just i consider it a comedy and it's returned to me which is a oh. 2000 movie uh, I had completely forgotten about that one. That is such a good one. It's such a good movie. Yeah, it's because it, it has one of those plots that's like, I mean, almost like only in fiction type of plots, but you really buy yeah. it. Um, oh, it's totally is, a rom-com. It qualifies, Yeah, man. I think it no, qualifies. No it's got David Duchovny and, and, and Minnie Driver and then quite a few yeah. funny supporting characters like Carol O'Connor and Robert Lo- Logia. Logia, I'm not sure how you say that. Logia. Logia, okay. Anyway, and he... Um, and it's about a guy whose whose wife has just died, 
Um, and so it starts out, you know, he's sort of emotionally devastated and distraught. And then um, he begins dating somebody. And eventually it's, you know, and, and kind of having a connection with, with her. But it, it's eventually it's discovered that she received the donor heart of, of the guy's dead wife. Um, and so, and that's a, that's not the whole movie, but that's, you know, it's a big part of the plot. And, um, so it's kind of like, is there some sort of psychic connection? Is this going to interfere with him because it's too, almost like too disturbing or it dredges up these memories of his wife? You know, is it kind of weird for them to date because of that? Like, is it meant to be, you know, and so there's a lot of this and, and it's one of these movies where you have these supporting characters who are. Uh, you know, generally wanting this, this union to happen. Um, and, uh, but you know, they have their opinions and, and a lot of the comedy comes from them. And, um, and I remember just it being a really sweet affecting, you know, romantic comedy. And, and again, I know I, I, we don't have to keep saying this, but yeah, it's not like my top number one genre. I don't even consider myself anywhere close to an expert on the genre. Cause there's many of the movies I haven't seen, but this is where I really discovered like, Hey, this can be like a legitimately really good film and still be, it doesn't have to be like we said, like a, you know, an award winner or um, the top movie of the year or, or whatever. And it's just like a really good movie. Um, and I think it sticks the landing, like, like you mentioned in with, uh, with Moonstruck. And um, so, yeah, I, I don't even know who directed, I guess I've never known that, but it's, uh yeah it's one that yeah, i really like i'm i'm kind of kicking myself oh, it's because bonnie I, hunt. You know, I made a bonnie hunt directed it. oh all right She's there in you it go. as well go ahead yeah no i, I i'm kind of kicking myself because i made a pretty substantial list um and I, I even included a number of films that i don't think would qualify and maybe we can throw a few of those out at the end when we yeah kind of wrap things up um but yeah i totally forgot about that one now I, I really like that one yeah um Interestingly enough, Minnie Driver, because I, I mostly associate her with Gross Point Blank, ah. which is a movie that is very has a, an element of romance and it's very, very funny, but I don't know if it would qualify because it's not really about the romance. The romance. Yeah, that's what I think. And, and yeah, yeah, I wanted to talk about that, which I mean, I guess we could just sort of mention this really quickly. Like, first of all, I think the big difference between romantic comedies and romantic dramas, obviously, is the comedy. Like, how funny is it? Because there's some dram- right. dramatic movies that have funny parts, and then there's some comic movies that have some pretty dramatic moments. But generally, is it more of a drama than a comedy or vice versa? But then the other thing mm-hmm. I think about is the ending. So I'm not spoiling any of these endings, but generally, a romantic uh-huh. comedy, they end up having the romance, together. right? They end up right. together. Right. and quite a few of these romantic dramas they don't or it's at least ambiguous maybe yeah um yeah so anyway that's we, we'll we'll bring up a few at the okay. end that i think taps directly into what you're talking about because i think that that you know i hadn't thought of it in those terms but now that you mention the question of do they wind up together or not uh-huh that that does seem to explain why a few movies that i thought of i wound up putting on my doesn't qualify list Mm. so we'll we'll return to that one well i'm sure we could find some um because there's another thing i want to talk about too which is 
there are quite a few movies that are just comedies. They're just straight up comedies. And some of them are slapstick or gross out yeah. comedies or like some of these 90s Adam Sandler, Jim Carrey type comedies that if you really analyze the movie, they also have a romance in them. They have like a sure. either a meet cute or a, a love interest, but they're just, right. nobody would call them romantic comedies, right? Because it's not the priority. Yeah, it's not the it's priority. Not, it's, not the, it's not the point yeah, of the movie. And it's I not think the main objective. What, what is it's the not draw? The, not the driving narrative. Right. right. What is the attraction of the movie? Why are people going to see this movie? Are they? Do they want to see a love story? Do they want to see two attractive people fall in love? For all for some of these movies, it's no. Oh, maybe it'll happen, yeah. but it's like you don't go to right. a Jim Carrey, and and like there are a few exceptions, like with the Adam Sandler movies, but most of the Sandler movies are not are not that way. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, but go ahead. It looks like you're on your okay. third pick. Yeah, so I'm on my third, and I would be very very surprised if you have this on your prediction list, um, because I don't think I've ever talked about this one before. Maybe I have. Uh, so I'm going to, I think this is a good time to bring up definitely. Maybe you ever heard of that one? No. Oh, okay. So definitely. Maybe I want to say this movie is about 15 years old, give or take. Uh, this is an early Ryan Reynolds movie. This is before Ryan Reynolds started making movies as Ryan Reynolds. If you could, if you could kind of say it that way. Um, he's, he plays a pretty, I mean, he's funny, but he's, he's a little bit more of a straight man in this. Uh, he is in a marriage that is about to end in divorce. Um, so it has kind of a sad premise. Uh, he and his wife, who we don't meet, are about to get a divorce. Um, he's, they've got a daughter, played by Abigail Breslin, and she talks her dad into telling him, or to, uh, sorry, she talks her dad into telling her the story of how he and his mom got together as kind of a last ditch attempt to convince him that they shouldn't divorce. Um, and so he's a little hesitant with this for obvious reasons, but what the, so, so basically what happens with the movie is it follows in flashback the story of how he and uh, the, the daughter, daughter's mother got together. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the twist is that there were three prominent women, including the mother, the future mother in his life. And so this flashback weaves between interactions with three different female leads, female characters, and we don't know which one is going to be the wife. Mm. And it's okay. also kind of intriguing because the one who is going to become the wife is also going to be the one, the one is going to be the one that he's about to divorce. And so mm. it's really kind of this, that's weird. You know, that's a really unique, weird yeah. plot. Right. Right. But, and I guess, I guess I'd have to say that the way it's executed and the way that all of the performances are so charming, make it work because Ryan Reynolds is very, uh, he's very sympathetic. You know, he's, he's kind of a good guy and it's sort of showing him kind of coming up through college and getting into it early in his career and all this stuff. Um, so the three, uh, female leads are played by Rachel Weiss, um, who is kind of this, uh, bohemian author type, uh, Elizabeth Banks, uh, who is like his high school girlfriend, high school sweetheart, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Isla Fisher, is this uh, girl that he meets in the process of working for uh, a local political campaign. Like that's kind of his main 
uh, career is to uh, consult on political campaigns. Like I think he actually winds up working on like the first Clinton campaign or something like that. Hmm. Um, and so, so the story just kind of weaves through his on and off relationships with these three different women and all three actresses do such an awesome job that you're kind of cheering for them and, you know, cheering for one over the other. And it's like, Oh, I hope he winds up with so-and-so. Um, but then again, there's kind of like this, this underlying reality that, okay, well, whoever he winds up marrying and having, you know, the Abigail wrestling wrestling character with that things aren't going to work out. Um, and so there's kind of a question of, all right, well, maybe is he supposed to wind up with one of the others, one of the others, you know, the other two or something. Um, altogether, and it's, I mean, it's, it's more confusing to describe than it is to follow in the movie. Like they do a better job of laying it out than I am. Okay. Uh, and it's, it's just a fun movie. It's, it's, it's very charming, clever. And like I said, the, the individual performances, I think make it work because everybody is, you know, in, engaging and, and fun and, uh, Kevin Klein plays uh, a supporting role that I don't know. Kevin Kevin Klein. It's like he is the Lloyd Bridges of this movie. He just he just makes it better. Mm. He's funny. He's awesome in anything he does. Yeah. And so he just kind of elevates this uh, from an already good movie to an even better movie. And so yeah. So this one it's 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 a little uncharacteristic. It's definitely. Um, you know, unconventional, I guess you could say. Uh, but uh, if you can, if you can roll with something a little out of the ordinary in your rom-com world, I would highly recommend this one. Okay. All right. I will check that out. I've never heard of that movie, but that, that plot is so intriguing to me. Um, okay. Um, yeah. And I totally, I totally butchered it. Like the way I really should have like written it down beforehand because it's, it's kind of this complex thing, but it's, it plays out it's it's if you're thinking Josh that movie makes that makes absolutely no sense I'm not even going to bother with that don't don't take my poor explanation as your dissuasive okay. uh, factor all right okay number four okay number four this is another um, probably my most I would say nostalgic of all my picks um, this is because I because when Harry met Sally I didn't see that very young. I didn't see that when I was like 12 or 13. I was probably like uh -huh. 20 or whatever, you know, even though that came out when I was about 12 or 11. Yeah. This movie I saw when it came out Same. in a theater when I was about 17, and it's called While You Were Sleeping um, uh, in 1995. Was that on your list, by the way? Um, it, it is. So it did not make your top my five. top group. Yeah. But I would absolutely include it as kind of a top 10 one. Yeah. And I mean, there there are a lot of movies that would absolutely be worthy mm -hmm. of my draft. Uh, this one I didn't put up there, but I mean, I've watched it every year for the last two or three years. Oh, it's become kind of a Christmas tradition. Interesting. Yeah, I I yeah. um, it's a great Chicago movie. It's it's yeah, another Chicago movie, huh? Um, gosh, that would be another good draft because I was thinking I don't think we've done biopics and like picking a major city like the greatest movies from that city or that show mm -hmm. a lot of the city would be an interesting one because I was oh, reading Moon, some... Moonstruck is a classic New York movie. Like, yeah, that's a, it's a great New York movie. Yeah. Um, okay, so I I 
the weird thing about this movie is I don't know if I've even seen that since 1995. That's how much it's made like a mark on me, kind of. I mean, it's so many oh, yeah. years. I may have seen it once, but I just don't remember for sure. But again, it was such a funny, interesting uh, theater experience. And um, I I guess, I well, this came out before Return to Me. So I guess before Return to Me was when I really oh, yeah. thought, oh, I could really enjoy a romantic comedy if it's that funny and it's that you know it's just so good um because and the plot starts out with this lady played by sandra bullock who is like a ticketing agent who's kind of in love with this guy uh played by peter gallagher and um i think what happens is a train is about to hit him and she she tries to save him but he, he becomes comatose anyway and at, at the hospital a nurse well, he gets he so he gets mugged Oh, he gets mugged. Okay, and then she's... And they knock him onto the tracks, which knocks him out cold. And then she jumps down there and rolls him out of the way. So that's 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 how he's in a coma. coma. Okay. But she does save his life, yeah. And then the the whole mistake of of the movie that kind of sets the plot in motion is it's believed that she is his, like, fiancé, right? Yeah. And um, I think it comes from a nurse or something. And so then the whole family begins to believe it. And she doesn't really correct the lie but then she mm-hmm. meets his brother who's played by bill pullman um and the movie c- kind of goes from there right and uh yeah, right just lots of funny lines and kind of wondering how it's going to happen to where like the right people are together you know um and uh and i that's the first i mean for a lot of those people it's the first time i ever saw them in a movie i guess not bill pullman because he was in Spaceballs, but like sander bullock um, <laughs> everybody had seen Spaceballs. i had seen that for sure by then i mean that was an <laughs> 80s movie that i i yeah it was one of the great comedies of the 80s and um uh yeah so that that one i just knew it had to be somewhere in my five my you know five list yeah. and uh oh that's that's a great one yeah that's, that's a lot of fun yeah like i said it's, it's, a, it's, it's a great it's a great chicago movie it's a it's really charming um, I think a lot of people had probably already seen Sandra Bullock in Speed before this came out, but this—I oh, yeah, think seen this that. was one of the first movies that really kind of brought her to the forefront because mm-hmm. she was really kind of the lead, the focus. Of the yeah, movie. she was. Does, it does a great job. Just, just I mean, sweet, charming character, really fun. Speed was a big hit, so that probably would have been where, where a lot of people had seen her. That was more like Keanu's mm-hmm. movie, but yeah, right. this was a this was like I think it was one of the top. Or top movies of the year probably at least the top rom-com of that year of 95 mm-hmm. and i think it was worth it so no this is this is a great stretch i mean yeah. like the 95 i mean the, the 90s really were i don't know i mean i know that a lot of romantic comedies have come out in the 2000s and since yeah but i i really kind of think of it as predominantly a 1990s thing mm-hmm. like I, it seemed like that was really kind of the hey the zenith. it all started with when harry met sally well, because Moonstruck was before. I know, I know. I'm just kidding. But yeah, those those are both late 80s. Okay. okay, go ahead. Yeah. Okay, so I have not seen this in quite a while. Um, and so my memory of it, the, um, my memory of the details is a little bit hazy. But for the sake of variety, and because I genuinely remember just adoring and loving this movie, I'm going to bring up Amelie as my number four. Oh, okay. You remember from, yeah. gosh, about like 20 years ago now, um, Audrey Tuteau, uh, this is a French film, uh, subtitled, mm-hmm. uh, but she just plays this quirky, like really kind of introverted, 
super, super creative, you know, charming soul. And I'm not sure if it's set in Paris or not. Like I, I said, it's been a I while. I believe it is, yeah. Um, but she just kind of, it just kind of follows her as she lives this. I mean, it's, there's, there's again, kind of a fairy tale quality. You know, even the the visuals and the, the editing style mm-hmm. and the narrative style, it's all very otherworldly, but very, very charming. And it it's essentially a romantic comedy because it's it's trying to bring her together with this one particular guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's much more of a focus on her. And right. It's, it's not like this is really her story. Mm-hmm. Um, and so where a lot of romantic comedies, you kind of, you know, pinball back and forth between it, between the leads. Two, yeah. This one, this one is mostly about, about her and kind of her journey to really, you know, cause she's, she's very shy. And I think that, you know, I'm not sure if it's like, she does not have a lot of family or something, but, uh, it seems like it's kind of a coming out of her shell type of thing. And um, like I said, I, it's been long enough that, that a lot of the details kind of escape me. But this is such a, a charming and adorable movie that I absolutely would like to give it some mention. It's a good movie. I, I It's it's a very whimsical um, fantasy, like you mentioned. Uh, it kind of gets into her her mind a little bit not so much into his mm-hmm. you know like you said and it is about more than just like the romance between them because her she she wants to bring people joy in secret or interesting ways yeah um, and so yeah i i like it i like the movie quite a bit um i remember it was a big shocker when that movie did not win the oscar for best international feature oh um, it didn't huh no it was it went to a movie called no man's land which i i have i own that movie it's a really good movie okay um and uh but yeah i i liked amelie amelie a lot amelie well, i don't know if i'm so, saying it right i think it's amelie the music yeah, i listen I think... to the music all the time it's one of those i listen to on youtube quite oh, a bit okay. the soundtrack is great well and the actress um if you're not familiar with her she wound up playing the lead in the da vinci code yeah with uh against uh tom hanks mm-hmm. um now i guess it would probably be appropriate to mention um that while most of the movies we've talked about so far are either pg or pg-13 when harry met sally is r because of some language as yeah I recall, it is um amelie is also rated r for some sexual content um which I have to admit, I've never actually seen because when I saw this years ago, I saw like a like a clean flicks version of it. Okay. Or um, and so, while I cannot personally about personally vouch for the content, I do know that it is there. And so, if anybody does want to check it out, they should probably be aware that this is uh, a bit more R rated than the other movies we've brought up so far. Because like uh moonstruck i'm pretty sure is is pg and i think the other ones we've talked about are all pg-13 so yeah uh, i think you you we, we wouldn't want anybody to have any rude surprises on their <laughs> on their valentine's, valentine's date, date. you're right and now that you mention it yes when harry met sally is r mainly for language there's also kind of a a faked orgasm scene i think and then this right. amelie i if i remember right there's like a I think it's kind of like an orgasm scene that you don't even see, but you hear. I don't remember any any nudity or sexuality in it or even language. But yeah, I, I do remember that being R. 
And then my pick, all the other ones we picked are PG or PG-13. Um, in fact, I think they're, well, I don't remember. I thought Moonstruck was PG-13 and while you were sleeping, but... Um, it could have been PG-13, yeah. but I think it might have even... It might have been PG, PG, yeah. But anyway, but this one is R2, so I'm glad you mentioned that. The, my pick, this is the newest of all of my picks so far. Okay. And I guess since you didn't pick any of mine, this is it. This is my five. It's Silver, hey. Silver Linings Playbook. Which we oh, saw in the okay. theater when it came out in 2012. Um, uh, it's a David O. Russell movie who directed Jennifer Lawrence in, in several other movies, such as Joy. And um, it has Jennifer Lawrence and Bradley Cooper as the leads. And then the supporting are great. It's uh, Robert De Niro um, and I think Jackie Weaver. But I'd have to look that up. But anyway... They and it's kind of it has some more serious themes in it too because it's really about Mm -hmm. mental health people that have mental health struggles, Um, and and the two leads do Um, because Bradley Cooper. I mean, the movie starts out with him being released from a facility where he has had some issues with his mental health, and he's even had a protective order put against him um, by his. uh, I can't remember if it's like ex girlfriend or ex wife. and he keeps wanting to contact her and he wants to give her a letter and he keeps trying to get people to give her a letter. And, and at first, because the movie's from his point of view, you're, you're sort of like taking his side a little bit. Like, yeah, what's the big deal? But you kind of begin to realize like he's really got obsessive issues. He's got problems. And, and he meets, you know, the Jennifer Lawrence character who has, who has been recently divorced and had quite a few issues of her own. And, and so, you know, you see that, like, maybe these two should be together. Um, they're going to be in a dance competition together. Uh, and so they begin dancing. And that's where some of the some of the romance, but quite a bit of the humor develops. Um, and <laughs> it's very funny. I mean, it's, it's hilarious. But it also has, like, some sad or, or kind of semi-tragic, like, flashbacks and some mm-hmm. mental breakdowns. Uh, you know, he has a therapist that he meets with, and um, it has a lot of Philadelphia Eagles fandom in it, which is very true to life <laughs> for Bradley Cooper. Um, That's which right. Is what, so That's it's right. one of these movies that works because, like, they really can put their own characters in. And I don't even know if the original book did that. I don't know if this was an addition to the movie or if the book is about a, a, a kind of obsessed Philadelphia Eagles fan with, you know, mental illness issues. But, um, like... <laughs> I remember uh, not too long ago, uh, Bradley Cooper was on Howard Stern like f- two or three months ago plugging Maestro, and Howard asked him, like, would you rather have Maestro win all the Oscars or the Eagles win the Super Bowl? So this was at least a couple <laughs> months ago when the Eagles were like 7-1. and one. And he he said, he, without hesitating, without even a moment to think about it, he goes, the Eagles win the Super Bowl. And 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 Bre- and Howard was like really, and he's like, yeah. He goes, I'm sick. I'm a sick individual. Like that's what he would really want. <laughs> and even with all the people that worked on his movie with him, like Kerry Mulligan and all all that, he would well, say plus, that about plus that. Plus the fact that the Eagles just won like four. Yeah, years they ago. won like five years ago. They beat Brady's Patriots. But anyway, my point yeah. is, he's he's great <laughs> in this movie. I thought it actually wouldn't have been a bad thing for him to win the Oscar for Best Actor. Jennifer Lawrence did win. So this also kind of is a diversion okay. from my other picks because this was a critically acclaimed movie. Like, it was on a many top ten lists of the year. It was nominated for quite a few, uh, including Best Picture, Best Director. It won Jennifer Lawrence Best Actress, and, and she was quite young. I think she was around 22 or 23. 
Um, and I thought she deserved it. I mean, it's because because she's funny in it, but she also gets real serious and and um, kind of you see that she's she's embodying this person that's struggling in so many ways, but trying to to have a relationship, you know, with Bradley Cooper, but kind of has some demons of her own that she has to deal with. And I remember watching it with my wife and I, I don't know if it was a Valentine's thing. Cause a lot of times these Oscar movies, we don't see until months after they come out or maybe like the nominations have been out. We're like, okay, well this must be a decent movie. Let's go. Um, but I remember her crying at, at times in the movie. So it's, it's definitely more than just a, just a comedy. Um, but yeah, I, I liked it quite a bit. So I would, yeah, that's my fifth pick. Okay. So I am going to throw myself a curveball. Okay. Because I have two movies left that are on kind of, they're like my starred list. Mm-hmm. But I've talked about both of them before. And so I think I'll mention them in the honorable mentions. Throw out our, our honorable mentions. But I think I'm going to go with a different one for my official draft list. And I'm going to cover a subgenre of rom-coms I don't think we've talked about yet, which is the British rom-com. Mm-mm. And so I'm going to go with Notting Hill. Oh, okay. With, uh, gosh, getting in, I want to say like 20 years ago, 2001, give or take. Yeah. Uh, Hugh Grant, who is really kind of a rom-com staple. Yep. Um, this one, he plays a bookstore owner in in London, the, the, the Notting Hill neighborhood of London, which I've actually vis- visited now. Um, mm-hmm. And Julia Roberts plays a movie star. It's, she's not playing herself. She's just playing another movie star, even though she's like the perfect stand-in. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, she, she winds up uh, visiting his store while she's making a movie in the area, and they kind of hit it off, and they have kind of this weird off and on relationship because she's this superstar and he's just this little bookstore owner. Um, very, very witty, you know, like the best of British comedy with that romantic angle uh, thrown onto it. Julia Roberts does a great job. I and mean, it's somebody else who also has done lots of, you know, great romantic comedies over the years. Um, the chemistry between the two of them is a lot of fun. Uh, I'm going to pronounce his name wrong. Is it Rice Efens? I, the, I know who you mean. I don't know how you pronounce it, but it's R H Y S I F A N S. He is the room. He is Hugh Grant's roommate, and he's just a riot. Um, just another one, really, really fun one. Uh, like I said, it's I, I, I choose it because there are a lot of great British comedies that you know that work. Uh, like Four Weddings and a Funeral is another one. Uh, About Time is one of the ones that I was actually kind of on my main list but i talked about that one a little while ago when we did our our father's day movies um so yeah Notting hill which i think is pretty well known like i don't i don't yeah. think that uh i would I, I would expect most people to be familiar with that I, one i'm actually kind of glad you picked that one because i think that um julia roberts probably deserves to have some love on this kind of a list you know right. and we hadn't picked well her. and that's yeah and like, i i don't I, that's kind of how i was thinking about putting it together is all right well i mean i have lots of favorite movies, but I kind of want to sample the different subgenres and different angles on them um, rather than just pick five Meg Ryan movies, you know? Well, and I, I didn't have like, for example, I've never seen pretty woman, so I couldn't even consider that. And I, and I've never, um, I didn't like my big, my best 
friend's wedding. My best friend's we saw that a year or two ago, and I, I just, I guess I had too high of expectations. It just, it just wasn't great for me anyway. And then Runaway Bride probably would have been my pick for a Julia Roberts movie. Okay, yeah, 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 um, yeah. Okay, yeah. Okay, so, uh, so those are our official ten. Um, I already mentioned a couple of honorable mentions. I threw out About Time, and uh, I also put uh, Four Weddings and a Funeral on there. Um, what have you got? Okay, uh, I want to see About Time. I've heard so much about that. That's definitely on my list. Um, I haven't seen Four Weddings and a Funeral or About Time. What did you? What were the other ones you mentioned? I just wanted to, um, to note them. Uh, already or just yeah that, i got a big list oh well i can give some more and then we can talk okay yeah yeah go so ahead. i go ahead. i have the big sick that kind of just missed my oh, top yeah. five yeah um that's a movie with kumail nanjani and zoe uh kravitz oh, what's her name i can't remember now um i know i know who you're talking about yeah it's um anyway it she was in that the ballad of buster scruggs the girl she was in one of those shorts from that anthology anyway um it she plays his wife um and uh she's sick for much of the movie and so it's right after she and he have been dating and and kumail is doesn't hasn't hadn't met her family or wasn't familiar with her parents and so a lot of the dynamic in the movie is is played between kumail nanjani and her parents who are played by ray romano and holly hunter really funny really well written i believe they wrote the screenplay as like a husband wife team and it's based on their real their similarities and what happened when they really met um kumail and his wife um so it's a great it's a great movie um okay from 2017 uh crazy stupid love another fun oh, yeah. theater experience yep, with, a, with a really cool twist uh or a reveal um ryan gosling and uh Steve Carell Steve just Carell, right? kill the just steal the show, and Emma Stone is always In, good. Emma Stone, right? Yeah. Um, always be my maybe, which is um, Randall Park. Is that a Netflix one? I believe it's Netflix. Yeah, I saw that on on a streaming network, so I think it was Netflix. Um, and Ali Wong is in it, and that's an a uh, you know Asian American movie about two people that are like childhood friends, and then if they're not with other people like is it sort of like is that their second choice um but are they you know how deep is their friendship compared to what could bloom as like real love um and so that's mm-hmm. a good movie um and then i wrote a few others down that i don't even know if they're romantic comedies but they have they definitely have romance and comedy in them so like jerry Maguire. i don't know if that's that's right, probably right. not but it could be it's got a lot of the famous lines you know that you hear about um Dan in Real Life was quite good. Oh, that is such a good one. Yeah. Um, Age of Adeline doesn't qualify, so I'm going to take that one off. Cr- Probably not, but yeah. a good movie. Crazy Rich Asians. Um, liked that quite a bit. And so, and then, and then you know, some of these like 90s movies that I just think are hilarious, but they're not quite romantic comedies, like So I Married an Axe Murder, you know, these kind of <laughs> movies. Um wedding singer you know there's movies that are yeah. like they're yeah. close but they're just too almost too goofy i don't know i don't know how to describe it you know well, they're like they're, the priority is the comedy yeah it's not it's not a romantic comedy because the you know the love story isn't the focus mm-hmm. it's mike myers gets to use lots of crazy scottish accents <laughs> you know? yeah yeah um yeah and so so i like i said i mentioned uh, about time 
Serendipity, I've talked about before, is one of my favorites. Uh, oh, that, I, that was one I was surprised just a sucker you didn't for. pick that one. Yeah. Well, and it was it was on my top six. Okay. But I, like I said, because I've talked about it before, I thought, well, maybe I should bring up another one just for the sake of sobriety. Okay. Um, but yeah, John Cusack, Kate Beckinsale. Um, you could argue that it's a little on the contrived side, but I just have a soft spot for this one. and Pretty much watch it every year now. It's kind of my movie that I watch while I'm wrapping presents. Uh, Christmas tradition. Um, now, uh, because we covered some other Meg Ryan stuff, uh, Sleepless in Seattle was one that I put down. But, uh, you know, as, as celebrated as that movie is, I just like her other stuff better. Mm-hmm. Um, IQ is a fantastic one where it's, it's her and Tim Robbins and uh, Walter Matthau plays Albert Einstein in a supporting role that's really, really fun. Um, let's see. Uh, I put down The Holiday. That one seems to be kind of a popular one. That is big on my list. Uh, Four Weddings and the Funeral. Uh, I already mentioned that one. Uh, Much Ado About Nothing, I put down. The 94, I think it was oh. 90, well, maybe it was 93. The version with Kenneth Branagh and Emma Thompson. Also a Kate Beckinsale movie, actually. Um, uh, Michael Keaton plays a really, really funny supporting role in that. And I have to say, it was probably the first Shakespeare movie that I felt like I understood what they were saying all the way through. Okay. Maybe the first and only. Um, uh-huh. But then, you know, and this is this is where I thought it was kind of fun to bring up. Well, uh, I guess you could kind of argue that Harold and Maude is a romantic comedy. Uh... I don't know. It's too... Again, it, to me, that's like... I guess you could. I wouldn't put it as... I, I, would, I would say it's just a It's a black comedy. I did put a question mark after... Yeah, yeah. Um, now, I put 500 Days of Summer down with a question mark because I don't... I think it's almost trying to be the anti-romantic comedy. Yeah. Um. But then, but then these are the ones I thought were really interesting. So I wanted to give a shout out to Inner Space because even though I wouldn't classify it as a romantic comedy, it was the movie that introduced me to Meg Ryan, who is kind of the queen of romantic comedies. Um, also, The Graduate. Oh my gosh! Yeah, is um... like, and that and that's one that pushes against some of these standards we were talking about. And so I don't know if I want to get into it because if if you are interested in seeing The Graduate, I would encourage it. And that's it's very so funny. funny. I mean, it just feels see that's the thing, and I don't I don't mean to denigrate the the genre, but I some of these movies feel like to label it a romantic comedy is to devalue it in some way. Like that's how I feel that's, about well, the that's Graduate, what I mean. right? Like the because Graduate there's, there's is kind more of a... is so much more. Um, yeah, and the, and I think that there is a perhaps unfair stigma with the genre that just kind of assumes that it's lowbrow, that it's simple, kind of formulaic. Simple. Yeah, right. I know. And there are plenty of movies that are. I mean, the, it, there there is a reason that it has that reputation, but a lot of the ones we brought up tonight, you know, I think argue that there are some real gems in here. Oh There's yeah, some real fantastic movies. Uh, yesterday was one that I thought was kind of borderline mm. um, as far as being defined as a romantic comedy. Um, and this one, I honestly can't remember enough about it to really determine. Before we go, have you did you see that one with uh, Alice Eve mm-hmm. and Chris Evans? 
they kind of have a meet cute when she gets stranded in New York when she loses her purse, and so he spends the evening trying to get her back, uh, okay. back home. Um, but uh, yeah, okay. I, was, I, I was thought of. Yeah, I had a few more too. I I'd forgotten about because I I put some on on my my phone too. So again, and I don't know if these qualify, but Groundhog Day. Yeah, I put um, that one down too. Is it kind it's more of a philosophical comedy, I guess, but it's got some romantic comedy in it. Another one that I thought was really funny was Hitch. Um, oh yeah, with okay. Will Ferrell and Kevin. Yeah, James. that's a that's a romantic comedy for sure. Um, as good as it gets is, it's again, it feels like more, but it's got some romantic comedy parts mm-hmm. to it, elements to it, um, and then. Oh, two two that we saw I've seen recently, and I guess not too recently, but in the last four or five years that I've seen in theaters were I Feel Pretty and Isn't It Romantic? Um, which one thing I liked about Isn't It Romantic, which is a Rebel Wilson movie, is it actually knows what a romantic comedy is in the movie itself and it, it makes oh. fun of it because it's like, so it's like she wakes up. She wakes up basically as a character in a romantic comedy. And and all the formulas are, I, I think she gets struck on the head or something like that, where oh, it's like okay. a magical thing happens to her, and then suddenly she's like I in a I've romantic comedy, yeah. and and so like her her uh, her roommate or whatever that she talks to sometimes in her building in her in her fantasy life, her romantic comedy life is suddenly the gay best friend, and he's completely different. His personality is totally changed, and he he's just a completely like. Um, very flamboyant, flamboyantly homosexual best friend that is just willing to dish with her on everything, and um, it's got uh, the Hem. I can't remember his name. Is it Liam Hemsworth in it? Um, yeah, yeah, it's pretty funny. Uh, so, yeah. okay, yeah. nice. Well, I think we've covered some good territory, yeah. and uh, I think we might have also left out a few that might be favorites for people. Oh, I'm sure that I think are pretty, pretty I'm sure we did. strongly associated with the genre. So, yeah. Uh, so if you object to any of our choices or want to fill in some gaps that we might have overlooked, be sure to uh, send us a line. But uh, I think that'll do it. That's this is a pretty generous episode. But uh, yeah, you're going to have lots to choose from. No reason, no excuse for not coming up with a uh, a good rom-com option for valentine's day because we know we all know that this this is a holiday of obligation (laughs) and if you fail to come through you're just i don't know i don't know what to say (laughs) (laughs) i think i think i think that'll do it for us so lots of rom-coms plus uh one sundance movie we're looking forward to coming down and uh one love the bob marley story any final thoughts mark no, but I mean, as I'm looking do, at do my... Do you have any interesting Valentine's plans? Um, I, You know, it's funny. I'm trying to make some, but I have, like, I apparently you got to do this weeks and weeks in advance because a lot of the places I wanted to book or was trying to book are all booked up already. And I, yeah. I mean, I have a week. I know it's my fault. It's seven days out. It's, I guess it's just not enough time. So I'm, I'm going to get a place, but... The top choices weren't there. But let, sorry, let me say one more thing about the movie. I think Sleepless <laughs> in Seattle. I'm wondering if I should have found room for that in my top five. 
You think so? Yeah. So what, which one would you bump? Well, I guess if I'm going in the order I did, it would have to be Silver Lining's playbook. But like, because yeah. to me, that's the that's sort of the ultimate of, of the 90s Tim, Tom Hanks, Meg Ryan. And you right. feel like one right. of them's got to be really there, but is. you did get Joe versus the Volcano. And well, which is, is that 80? Oh, that's 90. But yeah, mm. that one, uh, I, I mean, that's a really good movie. That's probably my number six, a seven at least on, on my list. But yeah, I think, I mean, we, once again, I mean, kudos to us. We threw out a good 40 to 50 <laughs> names of movies. I'm we are sure. so awesome. <laughs> so this has been episode 71 of the Utah Film Pod. Thanks for joining us. And if you haven't already, be sure to give us a like, a follow, or whatever the social media equivalent of praise and adoration is. Take care.